Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. And I'm Chesney. And this is a show where we watch Revolutionary Girl Utena, the 1997 anime. Currently, we are on episode 18, which is part of the Black Rose saga. Uh, this episode is Mitsuru's Growing Pains, referring to Mitsuru Suobuki, who is the hanger-on, like the boy who has a crush on Nanami. Who is Nanami's detail. <laughs> security personal services you know all of it assistant oh yeah no this is like the most toxic assistant relationship ever um oh man what does it say about me that i actually like it (laughs) (laughs) i'm like man anami's got the life she just has somebody waiting on her hand and foot so what you're saying is you're looking for a service sub I can neither confirm nor deny anything uh, that would or would not be the case. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, um, so for those who are just like tuning in, I would recommend you go back to the beginning and start listening to this show from the start. But the, the hook here is that I'm a super fan who has seen this show many, many times. This is Chesney's first time seeing it. Um, so this is her first time witnessing uh, the glory of the Black Rose saga. This episode opens on rain. It's a stormy day all across Atori Academy. And everyone is talking about the rain throughout the show. Yeah, and a much more somber um, opening than what we're used to. It's usually a little bit more peppy coming off the intro. uh, And this was just straight into rain and like a council meeting, which was a little bit unusual. Yeah. And like the council is discussing how they're feeling abandoned at the moment. Mm -hmm. Like they're not getting guidance from the end of the world. They have a, a new threat in these black rose duelists who at this point have taken two of them and turned them into like duelist surrogates. Like they draw a sword out of the the student council member to use based upon an emotional hold that the, the person doing the dueling has over that student council member. So like for um, Mickey, it was his twin sister Kozue. And they were abusing that relationship in order to turn him into a a sword donor, essentially. And then the same thing happened with um, Juri and uh, Shiori, where Shiori manipulated Juri's affections for her in order to draw a sword out of Juri. And the clock is ticking on Nanami. Like, she knows, like, they warn her hey you know what if you want to be like all high and mighty about being the student council president you better realize that you're next (laughs) right (laughs) yeah jury's like hey make sure you watch your back and mickey's like look our opponent is basically in the shadows and we're at a disadvantage as long as that's the case yeah this is some ninja shit and you gotta watch out (laughs) yeah (laughs) well and like it's it established whether or not the victims 
aka like Mickey and Jury, is it established whether or not they remember anything about like the black the black rose ring or getting like the sword pulled out of them? Well, that's what we've seen so far in all the previous ones is that whoever is the victim of it loses their memory from about the moment that they're confronted with the person who's drawing the sword out. Um, as soon as they lose consciousness, they don't remember anything until it's over. Even when we okay. see them between that time, um, like zombified or whatever, like no one seems to remember what happened fully. But they do at least remember like the interaction b- leading up to it. I guess. Okay. Um, it, I think it's it would a little, explain. It's a little fuzzy on like when exactly the memory cuts. Um, I think it's it a would explain. Uh, it would explain juries like <laughs> juries getting confronted, and it's like Nanami's like, "Oh God, jury, did they get you too?" And the <laughs> next scene is just jury looking away, and this like deep blush on her face that we've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. Well, that's just because she's thinking of Shiori. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, like, we ended last episode on Jury kind of realizing that, like, she's not as over uh, Shiori as she wishes she was. Yeah. Like, this violation that the Black Rose duelists commit um, has reconnected them in a way that uh, Jury was trying to get away from. Yeah, And now, like, we can see that she's not actually separated from Shiori in any meaningful way anymore. Um, but this is Nanami's moment to uh, <laughs> get <laughs> taken advantage of by, by Tsuabuki, which is a reversal of their normal relationship. Because yeah. what we see is... Um, Tsuabuki shows up in the student council chambers reading off Nanami's schedule for her and like saying like, by the way, uh, Fayette is in the gym today because it's raining, Um, you know, and there's like this pregnant pause and Mickey leans over and is like, hey, um, only student council members are allowed up here, dude. And she's like, uh, I'm the president and I do what I want. <laughs> and so Tsubuki gets curious and Nanami's like, don't worry about what's going on up here. It's, it's, a, it's grown-up talk. Mm-hmm. And that starts the ball rolling on all of Tsubuki's uh, insecurities. Which, to be fair, I mean, I feel like any of us could recall a time when you were a kid and any like especially any adult but this is like this is a little bit different this is more like peer relation but any adult would be like oh don't worry about it it's grown-up talk you're like oh god but now i want to know even more (laughs) and it just like starts you on this cycle of like oh but what the heck are they talking about the irony is that like being a grown-up anytime you would say don't worry about it it's grown-up talk is like kid you are better off not knowing like the yep. dumb sh- the dumb shit that adults have to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the horrible family gossip and stuff. 
<laughs> Kid, the longer you don't have to care about taxes, the better. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. There's one thing that I want to touch on that I noticed um, before we move on to the next segment of the episode, which is that when the sh- episode opens on the student council platform, we get a little bit of a different angle on it. And I noticed something that I didn't before, or maybe they just haven't shown it at this angle before. The usual like rose pattern um, or crest or what have you is on uh, the stone uh, over the arch entryway into the student council like balcony. From this angle that we get, we also see that there's actually the outline of a butterfly, which I... interesting. Yeah, I'd never noticed before. And it's it's just like a very vague outline. And the rose the rose is much more prominent and in the center. But I just thought it was an interesting little subtle nod. To me, it speaks of like the you know, the prince hidden in the castle imagery. But that's just me. And like I'm not gonna go back and look, but like, are you sure it's not the same as like just the fancier rose symbol, which has more petals around it. Like it's a very clear butterfly you're saying. It looked to me very much like a butterfly. Okay. Huh. I've never noticed it before. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of rose background imagery in this episode though, like more so than usual. I thought. Well, in the next scene or in the next couple scenes, we get, more of like the rose frames also. Mm-hmm. I just noticed that in the next scene, we get a shot of the shadow girls window um, that doesn't have Utena in it, which I'm like, Oh, this is establishing it as like, this is a part of the school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's pretty much at the end of that hallway. And then it uh, just acts as the, the, tableau against which the the shadow play takes place and now i just realized i skipped over a scene my bad (laughs) so the next scene opens on this shot of a snail (laughs) and (laughs) um choo-choo making noises at it um kind of like a pokemon all he says is his name (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we have utana and anthe watching this play out with Tsubuki and Nanami and Utena's like I could not handle this I could <laughs> never I could never do like the service sub thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's like I couldn't last three days <laughs> doing that yeah and and Anthe who on some level I guess has to understand this um she's like well, he enjoys it, so it's not not that bad. Like, this is, he's doing what he enjoys, so of course he can endure it. Right. Which I wonder if that says anything about the nature of her being the Rose Bride. Like, so we get that there is this control thing going on between Akio and Anthe, and Anthe and the Prince, and anthe and the duelists you know like there's a role that she has to fill and i'm wondering if like this is kind of a hint that 
the particulars of this role are something that she has created. You know, like it's one thing to be the source of power that unlocks the castle and the revolution and all of that. But is the Rose Bride itself, like the trappings of it, the actual form that it takes of her taking care of this uh, Rose Garden, is this just like how she manifests what that role has to be for her? Like, could she be the the the, the school's IT girl? You know, <laughs> if that's <laughs> could, could she be the IT bride? Um, if that's what she actually <laughs> wanted to do. <laughs> You get, oh, what God. I'm, you get what I'm asking there? Like, is this I do. her volition manifesting? Well, and we've talked about in previous episodes about on some level, she's doing this because she wants to. I mean, I think that that was most clear and evident at the end, end of the student council arc when um, Toga wins Anthe back and Utena is trying to fight for her is desperately pleading like don't do this don't go and she makes a comment about like this is what it is I do think that she to your point she does enjoy the role even if there are some less pleasant aspects of it because like I think about abusive relationships where like it's never all bad or else yeah. people would leave. Yep. Right? Like there is an aspect of it that a person actually just enjoys about the relationship and those are the good parts that you stay for. Mhm. And they're different for everybody, but they exist and like it can feel weird to acknowledge them. Sometimes like the society wants people to be like a perfect victim mm -hmm. and like that isn't how it plays out in reality there are aspects of it there are upsides to toxic relationships yeah and i think that there's something here about like there's a statement to be made here about being someone's like quote-unquote important person that I think both Suwabuki and um, Anthe enjoy. I would, I would go out on a limb and say that Anthe does enjoy being the Rose Bride in the sense that, like, there is an air of importance to it that she enjoys. Like, it's like you fit perfectly into this role and this puzzle piece, and you know, like, that it serves a purpose, and you know what that purpose is, and you feel important because of it. And Suwabuki yeah, is similar. clarity of purpose. Yes. And Suwabuki is very similar in that he wants to serve Nanami, period. And that is his purpose, he feels. I think also with, with Anthe specifically, and this is getting a little far afield from like the scene itself, but like I think with <laughs> I think with Anthe specifically, there's also an element of like it's this codependent piece of the amount of control she has over the prince and the power in the castle where like she's in she's locked in this abusive relationship but also 
she has some power in it that she is willing to use as well. And so like mm-hmm. abuse isn't always like one way. Like I I think that there's also an element with Anthe where she is hurting others back in addition oh, to yeah. in addition to being hurt. And not just like shit rolls downhill hurting people who are less than her, but like hurting her abusers also. Like, mm-hmm. this is, like, two people bound together with barbed wire. <laughs> yeah. Is, like, how I imagine this. Where, like, they can pull apart and doing so hurts both them and the other person. And I don't mean to say that the two are on equal footing here at all. Like, there is clearly a power dynamic. There, there's a power imbalance here that is not in Anthe's favor, necessarily. Um. Uh, but like it has reached a stage of like her hurting others back as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Anyhow, none of that is in this scene. That's just a tangent that like I read into <laughs> based upon like how she views <laughs> Nanami and Suabuki. Yeah. However, um there is one line that she says where she says roses are sensitive to change in season. Mm-hmm. And as much as this show is a metaphor for adolescence, I feel like this line kind of like sums that up very artfully <laughs> about like what's going on between Nanami and Suabuki. Like there is the tension there between her maturity level and his. And it's coming to the foreground. Like Nanami has now taken on the role of student council vice president. She has a, she has greater authority in the school now compared to the last time we saw these two face to face, like interacting directly, which was back when like it came out who was trying to kill her. She was still just, toga's little sister during that episode Mm -hmm. now she's student council president and Mm -hmm. you know like we're seeing a more mature nanami as well and so that tension is building between these two of like she's growing up faster than him or feels that way to him yeah and something about like the changes of the season of your life you know it's very evident that suabuki is coming to a crossroads within his own adolescence right but i I would argue that nanami is also and that's part of what is triggering this in suabuki is that ah yes that like nanami is now actually closer maturity wise to Jury and Utena and and the rest. Well, probably closer to Utena than Jury, just because like Jury is even older than Utena. But like, she's sitting at the big kids' table now. Yeah, pretty much literally. Actually, like being in yeah. the student, being in the student council chamber, she's literally at the big kids' table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then also, as we see later, you know, being asked asked out to lunch. 
by uh, members of the opposite sex, which is like, if you were in middle or high school and somebody came up to you and was like, oh, can I take you out to lunch? Like, that's unheard of. (laughs) That is unheard of. If you say yes, you're basically already dating. Yeah. (laughs) But before we get there, uh, Tsubuki has a confrontation with this girl, Mari, who we come to understand over the course of this episode that, like, they're childhood friends. And I cannot help but think that Mari is jealous of Nanami. Yeah, it's a it's a weird dynamic of like it's almost a little tsundere reminding for me um of like what really? no I don't like Okay, you. go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless I'm getting the title wrong, the maybe I am. But the uh like what? No, I don't like you and then like runs off kind of thing <laughs> oh okay yeah i can see that yeah but we'll get but it's we'll not get to that scene <laughs> yeah it's not full-blown sundere by any means but just like a what no i don't like you haha <laughs> unless <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding unless <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm just kidding unless you're into that <laughs> yeah <laughs> But there is a point to be explored here with her in that she's in this interaction trying to like talk (sighs) condescending a little bit to him. Like she knows more because she is a year older. Like they emphasize that in the conversation. Um, And she's like trying to advise, but also being a little condescending with it. Like, oh, you need to get into a more normal relationship and blah, blah, blah. So it very much still is that uh, I am a child, but I know more than you. (laughs) But also, like, Like, the way in which she's saying you need to get into a more normal relationship, like, her tone in that conversation is very much not, I'm your friend and I'm concerned about you. It's, you need to get into a more normal relationship with someone like me. Yeah. And not just someone like me, with me. (laughs) Yes. It's uh, her very poorly attempting to like throw that line Suabuki's way. And he is um, just not picking up on it. Bless his heart. I will say like in terms of maturity level, at one point she says that you can't make girls like you just by being nice. And he says, I know that never works. So at least he's aware of that. <laughs> yeah. Which is uncommon in boys that age. Um, <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. So like in the end, he ends up mocking her for her body not being as mature as Nanami's, which earns him a well-earned slap. Yep. Yep. Very well-deserved. No part of that was appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) It is interesting throughout this episode to see him wrangle with the concept of wanting to spend time with Nanami genuinely and then also wrangling with this like feeling of missing out 
I think that's what drives him to um, what happens later on in this episode, why he's so frustrated is there is very clearly to me anyway, a genuine desire to just be in Anami's company. I think just on a basic level, he enjoys spending time with her, even if it is like in service to her. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he enjoys the friendship that they have and the time that they spend together. Um, and then just wrangling with himself changing and the people around him changing. And I think they did a really good job in this episode of capturing the essence of puberty and what that looks and feels like to have all these people around you changing and you yourself and also not really know what to do with that not know how to deal with that just be frustrated yeah yeah and so the next scene actually is nanami asking him like hey do you have any other friends and he says i just like being close to you Mm -hmm. this is just another aside but like that question of Nanami asking if Tsuobuki has any other friends, I think this goes to that same parallel narrative that I've talked about before of Nanami being like a parallel protagonist to Utena. Mm-hmm. So Utena is concerned about um, Utena is concerned about Anthe's emotional health and her love her friendships with others and whether or not she has actual human connection besides just being the rose bride and whoever she's engaged to and here we have a scene where nanami and suabuki have a kind of similar ish relationship in terms of service where like suabuki in every way checks all the boxes of being the rose bride In Mm -hmm. terms of like the way that he looks at Nanami, the way that he will do anything for her. And Nanami's reaction to this is, kid, are you okay? Do you have (laughs) other, like, do you have other friends? Like, is this it for you? You really need more in your life than just me. Yeah. And Nanami doesn't ask it in any semblance of an elegant way. (laughs) (laughs) No, she's very direct. Like she doesn't, she doesn't broach this topic with the same level of like nuance or care that that Utina does. But like underneath it, there is still like a base level recognition that what's going on isn't necessarily the healthiest for him, and she still views it through kind of a selfish lens as she's asking these questions. Like the tone of these questions and the wording of them lends itself to like still seeing Nanami as at her core a little bit more selfish than Utena. Mm-hmm. But there is an undeniable part that like on a maturity level, Nanami has recognized like, I like this. I get the benefits of this. It also isn't okay. And I should probably check in with you and see if you're doing all right. <laughs> yeah. More of a place of, well, I want this to continue, but I also like, but also you should have some friends your own age (laughs) yeah it's like um i enjoy this i want you to keep working for me but you can't keep working for me if you're dead 
So I will still do the bare minimum of keeping you alive and healthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, you can see a little bit of jealousy come in when she's asking if Mari is his girlfriend. Cause like, yeah, <laughs> like, this is still that same piece of Nanami's coming from it from coming at it from a bit more selfish of a place even though they end up in the same place of concern. Yeah. And even though like Nanami has insisted throughout this show and in this episode that, Oh, Suibuki is just a kid, blah, blah, blah. She does still get jealous of the idea of anybody else taking up like a good portion of his time. Oh yeah. And then like, <clears throat> There's a kind of enigmatic moment at the very end of the episode, the final line of the episode, and we'll get there. But, like, I think that she actually likes him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do, you too. <laughs> she just, she won't admit it to herself. Because that would also, like, if she admits it to herself, that would also mean admitting that what she has with her brother isn't necessary anymore. Uh-huh. Which she like, will never do. Like, her infatuation with Toga no longer serves her if she has another boy that she can have a crush on. <laughs> do we... So we don't know how old Suwabuki is, do we? They're like a year apart, maybe? Uh, probably more than that. Um... Oh, yeah, because there is... A line here where <clears throat> there is a line here where Suwabuki is like, "Oh, is it is it okay that I come up to the middle school?" Blah blah blah. So he is in an elementary school, I guess, probably like fifth grade. Okay, so Maybe the wiki uh, the wiki gives his age as ten compared to Nanami, who's thirteen. Okay, so a, a pretty meaningful gap there. Um, yeah, especially at those ages. Yeah. Nowadays, like three years between me and a partner is nothing, but like at those <laughs> age, at those ages, it's actually really meaningful. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah. In terms of maturity level. It's also really impressive that a 10-year-old is doing all of this stuff. <laughs> like being her security <laughs> detail, making her lunches every day. I mean, like, this is a kid who was resourceful enough to let loose multiple animals on the grounds of Otori Academy. So <laughs> we already know that, that this kid can, can he, this kid is a born fixer. If he was living <laughs> a life of crime, he would be the one who would be able to hook you up with anything. <laughs> ten, ten years That's a old, different. 10 years old, he can already get live animals wherever he wants them to be. Um, he knows Nanami's schedule backwards and forwards. He can get anything she needs. Like, yeah, I know that, that is a life skill that will serve him very well going forward. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very different revolutionary girl, Utena. <laughs> Every, it's a crime boss <laughs> anime. <laughs> so speaking of 
him making her lunch. That is the next scene. And Mari does show up and <laughs> takes the chocolate that I guess Suwabuki bought for Nanami's lunch. And Mari just starts eating it. <laughs> so, like, this is as close as she can get to a power move when it comes to Nanami, because I can't imagine her ever trying something like this to yeah. her face. <laughs> yeah, no, she's eating her lunch. Like, that is that is a power move right there. Yeah. And interestingly enough, like, this is the first appearance of the chocolate bar, which is going to be a visual motif throughout the rest of this episode. And... It's kind of a, a, a visual metaphor that is lost on American audiences, but actually is a very important cultural, like, is a very important maturity signifier in Japan. Is like this, oh. con like, there's this concept of um, sweet and bitter foods being associated with youth and age, respectively. And so, it's generally thought like as you age, sweet things become less palatable and bitter things become more palatable. And like that, that is kind of a general trend as your palate develops as you age. But this idea that uh, the idea that Tsubuki still likes chocolate and that Nanami still likes chocolate is a sign of their youth. And especially the way that, that Mari, without even thinking about it, grabs the chocolate bar and starts eating it. Like this isn't an existential crisis for her. She still likes it, which puts her very clearly in the youth category. Mm -hmm. Tsuabuki is trying to deny that he is still youthful as he is in conflict over whether or not to eat the chocolate over the course of this episode. Like this is him confronting, I still like this, which is a material a piece of material evidence that I am still too young. But in an effort to imitate those older than him, he starts to resist eating chocolate. Which is also why, like, it becomes the symbol of his duel later on, because it's all about maturity. And this is one of those signifiers of maturity is like, when is it that chocolate becomes too sweet and unpalatable for you? That's when you know that you're an adult. Like that, like, at least like that is one of those, like, I guess, like childish signifiers of it. Um yeah but a very real one nonetheless in terms of the meaning it holds for somebody if like this is what they're measuring themselves by. And so um, the fact that he's putting it in Nanami's lunch, which on the one level shows that he still thinks that she's pretty young and she may still really like chocolate, which mm -hmm. is one of those uh, contradictions about adolescence that you can see Tsuobuki wrestling with in this episode is like Nanami still likes chocolate so she's still definitely young compared to you know the school counselor or Akio or any of them at the same time 
he's trying to prove himself as being mature. And so he's going to be the first one to give up eating chocolate out of these three. Yeah. It also takes on another meaning, this chocolate bar in particular, because after Mari, like after he and Mari have their conversation where, by the way, Mari calls Nanami a black widow and says yeah. that she's just going <laughs> to use, she's just going to use a suwabuki all up. And it's like, oh, it's just a women's intuition, blah, blah, blah. But they have like a, a spat, another spat of theirs. And she tosses the chocolate on the counter and leaves. But she's bitten off of it somewhat. And Suwabuki picks it up, goes to eat it, and then looks at it and says something about an indirect kiss. And doesn't, he leaves it, he puts it down. He doesn't eat right. it. And that comes up again later. Which also furthers the idea of like, at first, I thought he was going to take it in the direction of maybe I could have an indirect kiss with the Nami and try to pursue that. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad he didn't. <laughs> but um, he does have a moment later with it again that I'll pick up on when we get to that part of the episode. So I'm probably going to cut this. But at one point. Suwabuki holds up a banana. Oh, says, God. If she eats this, she'll be satisfied. And I'm just, I can't, I fucking can't with this. Like, the, the joke is right there. It's like everyone in the, involved in this scene is too young. I can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised the show took it there. I was really surprised. <laughs> And even Mari going, oh, that's dirty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I fucking can't. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did she say that? I don't remember her saying that. Yeah, she makes a comment about like, oh, that's dirty. And like blushes. <laughs> By the way, we're at the 40 minute mark and we are six minutes into this episode. Oh, it's okay. So much happens in the beginning. And yeah, and she says, um, or he, he's confused about what's dirty about it. And she says, you'll understand when you're older. Which, yeah. This girl's only 11 and understands it. So, okay, whatever. I, I can't. We got to move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the next scene is Suobuki going to deliver Nanami's lunch to her as per usual and finds her standing in an archway with none other than Makage, which, by the way, looks particularly villainous. I didn't even <laughs> recognize him at first <laughs> uh, from the way that they drew him. But he looks he looks like a bad guy. He looks like Mr. Steal Your Girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But Nanami introduces him and says, oh, this is the guy who runs the Makage seminar. And Makage even says himself, like, oh, my attempts to woo you have paid off. Uh, and in <laughs> Suwabuki says something like, aren't you going to eat your lunch? And she's like, uh, oh, no, I don't need it today. And Makage takes her off to lunch. And Suwabuki's just left there processing what the heck just happened. But Poor thing. Mikage also tells Suabuki, like, 
hey, you can come watch. You can come see what the seminar is all about. That's foul. That is so foul. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Like, I get it that, like, this entire episode is about maturity and there is, it is littered with references to sex throughout this entire episode as, like, a signifier of maturity. And we're going to get to, like, the big scene of that next. But I don't agree with you that there's anything dirty about this. Like, that is just him saying, like, hey, um, by the way, you can come come to the seminar also because he is trying to lure Tsuabuki specifically into that uh, confessional. Oh, yeah. I just meant the idea of Makage going, you can come watch our lunch date being so foul. (laughs) That's so (laughs) uncalled for. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That is peak unkindness. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, we get to the library where Tsuabuki is voraciously consuming books, trying to figure out what makes someone an adult. And uh, he should have just went to fanfiction.net <laughs> instead of going to the library. <laughs> I can't with you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> um, Uta and Anthe walk by. And they get into a conversation with Tsuabuki about, like, what is a grown-up and how do you know when you're grown-up? And Utena drops this line of, well, what makes you a grown-up is you've experienced certain things. And the, the three boys, the triplets that follow Nanami around, all perk up at this. And they're in the background of the shot. And it's so perfect. Uh, And as she's trying to, like, fumble her way through explaining what a grown-up is and what a grown-up has experienced, everything she says comes out as a double entendre. Like, it it sounds like she's talking about sex. And as they're talking, the triplets just, like, keep leaning in further and further. Their faces turn different colors. (laughs) (laughs) Like, in embarrassed shock at what they're hearing. And Anthe, very innocently, except we know not innocently, um, Mm -hmm. drops the line, there's a lot of grown-up things about us, aren't there, Miss Utena? And at this point, the triplets lose their shit. (laughs) (laughs) And, because, like, they're picturing what I'm sure the audience is picturing, which is what happens when Utna and Anthe are living together in the dorms and are clearly mm-hmm. engaged. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's interesting to me that the next scene from here is... Utena talking to Akio and the first thing that she asks him is dreaming about my prince weird 
And he looks so shocked. He has this like really weird reaction of like, what? Like, what'd you say? And so Utena covers it up and is like, oh, a younger student asked me if I was a child or a grown up. So I'm wondering which one I am, which is not even what she asked to begin with. <laughs> but it, like, not even but close. It kind of, but it is really like it is because this is the thing about her that she's thinking is tying her closest to childhood. Mm. Is that like if she's dreaming of a prince isn't that a sign that she hasn't grown up? Yeah. I would guess that it, the answer that if she had been honest with her question, instead of rephrasing it, um, I think the answer would have been, it depends on the context of the dream. But I think we all know that, Utena still does look at the prince with that childlike fascination. Right. And of like, like, this is who I want to be when I grow up. Right. But like, that's the core of her anxiety about it. Mm-hmm. Because like, she knows deep down that this desire of hers is core to her still viewing the world in a childlike way. And the fact that that's the first question she asks, and then when he isn't sure, like, what to say about it, um, when she rephrases it, she turns it into something abstract, which is a key signifier that she's actually anxious about this answer. Mm-hmm. Which means, on some level, she knows that she's not a grown-up because she still has childish desires or desires that she views as being childish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when Akio asks her, like, well, what do you think you are? She's like, I don't know. Maybe I never really understood the difference between being a child and an adult. And then he gives this really cryptic <laughs> answer of... Well, with each passing year, a star loses its brightness. And immediately, because this is, I just don't like this character. <laughs> immediately, <laughs> my brain is just like, can this guy say anything that doesn't sound like grooming? Like, can you give a straight answer without being the Cheshire cat of grooming, please? Oh, like, yeah. No, like, <laughs> that line is so creepy on that level of like, the idea that as you get older, you become less interesting to him uh-huh, is just horrifying on its face. I also want to point out, like, how fucking cynical is that line? You know, like, every year, life just gets worse. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, how fucking cynical can you be? Um, way to, like, not give the kids anything to look forward to in adulthood and on some level like yeah it, this is a show aimed at kids and not much stuff uh not much stuff that's aimed at kids really addresses the idea that yeah as you get older 
there's a lot of stuff about life that actually just gets better as you become an adult. Like children's entertainment never wants to rub that message in. And so instead it sometimes pitches the idea of like growing up as being a bad thing. Um, or like the idea of what you lose when you grow up. And here we have Akio giving voice to this in like the smarmiest way, which should right away signal like, no, this guy is wrong (laughs) about that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because like his life is not that bad. Like he managed to get a pretty cushy job running something that's one of his passions, a planetarium and has, as Utena points out, a beautiful wife. So like, what are you complaining about? (laughs) You know, like not to say that, I don't know, that's not everybody's life, but like in Akio's case specifically, I'm like, seriously, dude, what are you complaining about? You have literally nothing to complain about. Yeah. And like, I I find that interesting. Um, Maybe somebody who can listen to this in the original Japanese and pick out the the wording differences could tell us like, if you know this answer, please write in and tell us. Um, Utena says uh, wife in that scene. Does that mean that after the duel with Kane a few episodes ago, and now Kane has graduated and they're now married. Oh, they were just a engaged point. a few episodes back. Like, yeah. is there, is there a, did we go through a change in the year, like the school year? Um, you know, is Utana a grade higher now? Like, is everyone a grade higher? Like, is that what happened? in between somewhere in there um or is this like a cultural thing of referring to someone as their wife even though they're not actually married yet like i don't i don't know the answer to this one so if you know please like write in and tell us yeah Um, or was it just a mistranslation was it supposed to say fiance because like i think in like the the 30 episode mark, like around there when Kane comes back, I think they're still engaged. Mm, okay. So I don't know, like this line might just be either miswritten or mistranslated um, or something. I think they, that they're still engaged like 10 episodes from now when, when Kane comes back, but I could okay. be wrong. I could be wrong. When we get there, we'll find out, I guess. Okay. So we're moving pretty fast through <laughs> the uh, we're moving pretty fast through the characters in the beginning portion of this episode, and we get to our Black Rose characters next. And Mamiya and Mikage are talking about how, like again, because all the characters are talking about rain. Mamiya says specifically, that rain depresses him and finds darkness relaxing, which of course because they're always hanging out in that basement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But interestingly, Makage says in darkness, that terrible sight will pass unseen. I don't know if this is a reference to something. I should have looked it up. But 
just thought it was weird for him to say that kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, I didn't. Um, if that's a reference, I didn't catch it either. Yeah, I might look it up after this episode. But um, then they just basically talk about the deeply jealous queen and her retainer <laughs> and how they're trying to get uh, Suwabuki to crack. Yeah, it, it's just a, a typical like villain scene of them plotting. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think like the most noteworthy piece of it is that we're acknowledging here that Mamiya hasn't been seen outside of this room before. Mm-hmm. So whatever you want to make of that, like we just don't see Mamiya outside of this room. <laughs> Tinfoil conspiracy hat time. <laughs> Like, totally horrible, off-the-wall <laughs> conspiracy hat theory. Uh, <laughs> my brain just imagined, instead of, like, Mamiya having feet, Mamiya just has roots, <laughs> and that's what's producing <laughs> the black roses. <laughs> Mamiya just coalesces out of the shadow down there, is that it? <laughs> Mamiya, Mamiya is the Black Rose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we cut to a scene in the cinema where Tsubuki is watching like film after film after film of people kissing. And like he is studying this just like he was the books a moment earlier. And uh, Mari shows up and is like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? This is, <laughs> th this is nonsense. And he tries to explain and she shuts him down and is like, look, one real kiss makes you more of a man than watching a hundred people kiss. And I I'm going to, this might be a little controversial. I'm going to say like, he wasn't misreading that in terms of like her signifying interest. Oh yeah. No, she's just conflicted and decided she wasn't ready for it. Yeah. Cause like he goes in for a kiss and she slaps him. Mm -hmm. And uh, cause like she actually tells him like, you need to practice, mm -hmm. which is like a classic opening line of like, you need to practice on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, she berates him for his lack of subtlety, is how that comes out. And um, Nanami witnesses it and or witnesses her storming off and him coming after her. Um, and We have another moment where uh, Tsubuki refuses to eat the chocolate. Mm -hmm. Like he looks at the chocolate bar, he's about to eat it, and he refuses to eat the chocolate because, again, he's determined to show that he has grown up. But Nanami shows up and asks, like, who was that? What's going on here? And Tsubuki says something like really, really heartbreaking here. Where he says, mm. 
why couldn't I be born the same year as you? Like, why does this age gap have to exist? Why does this have to matter? And Nanami says, well, I like you just as you are. I have, but gives him a head pat. Yeah. I have like two readings of this, and I think that they are both true. Mm-hmm. Which is, I like you just as you are. You know, younger, inferior, a servant. But I think that there's also a genuine side of that also, of actually liking who Tsuobuki is. Yeah. And because it's Nanami, of course, she doesn't have the emotional wherewithal to admit that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it comes out in this really patronizing way. But also, like, it's it's a little too mixed, right? Like, her tone of voice and her actions are mismatched here. In that, like, her voice is tender and her actions are condescending. And right. so, you know, this is where I feel like that those dual readings are in tension with one another. Yeah. And going back to that chocolate bar moment that is interplaying with this scene, too. Suwabuki does go for a bite. You know, he, again, it thinks about that indirect kiss and ultimately throws the chocolate bar in the trash. And I think that there's two readings there with that as well. I think it's the reading of being discouraged and upset with himself about giving in to that, like wanting sweets, wanting chocolate, like younger aspect and also not being satisfied with an indirect kiss, not being satisfied with that experience because it's not the experience that he's looking for that people are telling him are the key to adulthood, supposedly. Right. So after that interaction with Nanami, that is both genuine and condescending, he goes straight to the Mikage seminar straight into that confessional booth and starts talking about it because honestly, I mean, you can just tell this poor boy is ready to get it off his chest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He says that Nanami is pretty and dependable and that being with her made him, made him happy past tense. Mm -hmm. He says it's not enough anymore. Um, And he says that, Mari has been bugging him and that both Mari and Nanami laugh at him for being a kid. Mm -hmm. And so now all he wants to do is wreck it all. Yep. And I noticed with this one that he went all the way into the egg status too. And he was also aware and cognizant when he gets introduced to the room with the hundred pair of shoes. Yes. 
And so he ambushes Nanami in the uh, cinema. And um, like he puts his hand on hers just like he had done with Mari. And this time he's got a black rose signet on his finger. And he draws out both of Nanami's swords from her. And he says, Yeah, and he he definitely looks like a zombie here, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's got the glazed over eyes, the whole works. Um, mm-hmm. like it wasn't just an affectation that um Shiori had. This is just like how duelists look once they are taken by the black rose. Yeah. Until they get their weapons. Yeah. And yeah, he pulls Nanami's weapons out of her. It's pretty quick and kind of disturbing. And also, I feel like the weapons that he gets are... Maybe it's just... (laughs) Maybe they just look so large because he is so small. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they look huge. And uh, they, again, just like everybody else, resemble the... um, duelists that they pulled them out of like weapons of choice right in this case like the dual scimitars that nanami uses like the scimitar and the dagger mm-hmm. that nanami uses and then we have our shadow girls yeah <laughs> and this whole parable about like this girl going oh today i did it for the first time and her, her parents having a conversation with her about it and all, all of the misunderstanding <laughs> what she's talking about yeah he says i did it for the first time in a car i have no regrets i was very determined i had to be brave and of course everyone thinks this is about sex Mm -hmm. and everyone's getting more flustered as she talks and then she reveals that she donated blood yep which (laughs) you have to be 18 to do in japan and so um it was proof of adulthood yeah (laughs) which goes along with the double entendre that has been permeating this entire episode of sex being the marker of adulthood. Yeah. Romantic relationships being the the separation point between childhood and adulthood. And like anyone on the other side of that line can tell you that's just not how it works. <laughs> no. <laughs> but to a kid that's what it looks like. Yeah. And so like we circle that same topic with the shadow girls here as well. Yep. And go straight into our duel, which this one I thought was interesting. I thought in previous duels, we have the scene of Utena walking up the stairs and getting there. I thought pretty much immediately after she drew her sword from Anthe, but maybe I misremember. No, that is that is that is true. I have a note here as well. Okay. He starts the duel before she draws her sword. Which is again reminiscent of I think what happened with the Nanami duel. It it's not exactly the same, but it parallels the savagery of Nanami's duel, where yes. with Nanami, the duel ended and she kept fighting. Mm-hmm. Like she fought beyond the bounds of the duel in the other direction. He ambushes mm-hmm. Utena, but Nanami kept fighting after. 
like that is the parallel between these two that I see is that uh, they both kind of break the boundaries of time in terms of like what points are marked off as being the duel versus being present in the dueling arena. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them take as license that the person is still there. And so they, they fight regardless yeah. of like the decorum involved in the duel, which I think also speaks to that childhood or that childishness piece of like, mm-hmm. well, we're here. So being here means we fight. Yeah. As opposed to like, no, there are rules and there's a procedure for this. And that procedure matters. And like the childish piece is no, the procedure doesn't matter. Just the fight matters. Mm-hmm. Or just a disregard for the rules. Yeah. Cause like they don't understand the purpose of the rules. So the rules don't matter. Yeah. And I was, <laughs> I was just going to say, can you imagine being in Utena's shoes, going up just like you normally do to the dueling arena and you have to fight a fucking kid? <laughs> <laughs> like a 10-year-old with these two massive scimitars is standing up there waiting for you and tries to draw blood first. That is terrifying. Yeah. And like Utena recognizes this. She's like, dude, Tsubuki, what the fuck? Why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were friends. <laughs> and and again, like he gets the jump on her because she is genuinely confused and concerned about a 10 year old being in the dueling arena. And um, he gets close enough to cut her hair. Yeah. Um, Like that's how close he comes on the first swipe. And, um, and like the desks all have these statues holding the, the bitten chocolate bar. Mm -hmm. So, Again, we have the duel now representing everything about maturity. Um, she's asking legitimately, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. And, and his reply is so bizarre and so like child logic <laughs> that, that you become adults by defeating one. Like this is Highlander rules. <laughs> this is like highlander rules or this is pokemon uh, gym trainer rules like (laughs) chronicle of riddick rules (laughs) like you you get the adulthood that you take from adults (laughs) (laughs) and so like the fight proceeds and of course she pounds him into the dirt because he is still a kid. Um, yeah. When she disarms him, it knocks one of the um, the chocolate bars aside, and the little statue is pierced by the sword, and inside is another statue that catches the sword. It's like it's one of those animation flourishes that we get now in like the second season of the show where they clearly have a bigger animation budget and can do these like whimsical little things. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to me, it was also like cutting through the illusion of trying to be 
bigger or be different from what you are. Oh, yeah. Cutting through the illusion of trying to pretend to be the adult and really you're still just a kid. Exactly. Oh, yeah. No, you nailed it. Like that is that is absolutely the symbol there of Mm -hmm. underneath this hollow facade of him being a grown up, like eschewing the chocolate bar and all of that. Deep down, he is still a kid. He is still literally physically smaller than her because he has not matured yet. Yep. I got to talk about this dual song. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm ready. Okay. So the translation of this dual song is given as absolute conic egg algebra. (laughs) But I found on it's a Tumblr post by someone uh, prepara PB or it's a Tumblr post by prepara Pesbian. Nice. Um, because it's Tumblr, I don't know how long, like if this link will still be valid by the time you listen to this, but it is uh, jewlwpet.tumblr.com. And this person analyzes this song and recognizes that the last word, the katakana for it isn't actually algebra, it's archibus, which refers to Um, like a French essay and all about like this ideal form that humans will someday take, which includes like a tail with a hand and an eye and like a cone shaped parachute part of their body. Like it's some bizarre, like 19th century stuff here. What Um, in the book of revelations? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, like it, it's buck wild um (laughs) always dipping into the weirdest niche stuff as inspiration for these songs uh we get like a a similar thing with the song of um the song talking about breathing and breathing in strength gasping with pleasure that humans are a machine that breathes and the rest of it is about the absolute man, which is referring to the archibus. This, like reading through this blew my mind. This is so much deeper of a reference than just like a bizarre algebra thing. Um, I, I had to bring this to you listener. And so that you would get this as well, because like, wow, wow. <laughs> Yeah. Huh. So I guess then the next question is, when are we all getting our tails with hands and eyeballs? <laughs> um, tomorrow, actually. Um, oh, I, okay. have, I have my appointments at 10 a.m. Um, oh, so that it, was my mistake. They aren't taking I, walk-ins. I, you do have to call ahead. But yeah, no, um, they can get you in okay. probably this week. Okay. That was my mistake. I thought it would just ship out. And come to my house. Uh, I didn't know I had to go in for a procedure. No, it is free, but you do have to schedule the procedure. Okay, okay, okay. Got it. Thought I could just <laughs> pop it in. Thought I could just pop it in back there by myself. <laughs> Apparently not the case. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway. <laughs> you were gonna say you were gonna talk about the wrap up. Oh yeah. <clears throat> 
so yeah, we have, it just cuts to the next day and everything is a-okay. Everybody's hunky-dory and fine. You know, previously they talked about like either the duelist themselves or the victim having to be, you know, in the nurse's office um, and having to be on bed rest kind of thing. Um, but both Nanami and Suwabuki are fine. They're both like walking into school um, and they have like a innocent little interaction. Suwabuki seems to be completely himself uh, and also at peace with being the age that he is. Like he seems much more at peace with his own childhood and his age uh, versus the turmoil he was feeling before. And Nanami seems to be just fine too. And like I said, they have a little interaction and Nanami has a cute little blush after they finish it up. I thought it was adorable. And she finishes yeah, out the she, episode by saying it's going to be warm today. Yeah. So about that. So there's a thing in like Western cinema and theater where when you talk about the weather, it's because you've run out of anything else to talk about. Mm -hmm. That is not the case in Japanese works. Commenting on the weather isn't necessarily because you have nothing better to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, it's often more like a veiled way of describing the actual emotion you're feeling. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not so well versed in this that I can like say what Nanami is really saying here. But I just wanted to like highlight that it's not quite the same mood as when like a character in Western stuff talks about the weather. Like there's no awkwardness there. It's she's saying something here. Um I just don't have the the depth of knowledge to, to like properly analyze it there from her just saying it's going to be warm today i could just take it as like her acknowledging that she feels some kind of warm feelings for suabuki no matter what level it is you know budding romance or just like genuinely enjoying being around that or person just that she's at peace with the situation that too Okay, so what are your predictions for next time? Oh, man. <laughs> the next episode is going to be so good. <laughs> We've got a love letter to Utena from a childhood friend of Wakaba's. They call him the Onion Prince because they've called Wakaba an onion before, apparently. And Anthony goes... Yeah, the Onion Princess. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. And Anthony goes, Oh, I could cut him I could cut up some onions and put them into a curry. And I'm like, wow, that is a very thinly veiled statement slash threat. <laughs> <laughs> Towards the, about the person uh that may or may not have a crush on the person you're engaged to. <laughs> curry dishes with uh curry dishes with threatening auras. <laughs> uh-huh. That's what Anthony's that, all about. Start that account. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So yeah, um, definitely 
interested to see if we get any kind of reaction out of Anthe in the next episode. Say more. Meaning, in the past, we've seen her do this kind of thing with like these thinly or not so thinly veiled threats uh, with her throwing shade as opposed to directly confronting something. So I'll be interested to see if she continues that trend and path or if she says anything more direct or if we see any emotions or anything arise more directly from her. And also just how Utena's going to take this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. um, I will say next episode contains one of my favorite twists of the entire series. Okay. It is one that I guarantee you that you are not seeing coming. Oh, I can't wait. It's rare that a show gets a drop on me, so I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's one of those twists that is done so well that it deepens your understanding of everything that has come before it. So good. Yeah, no, next episode is fantastic on that level. Just from like a world building standpoint. Okay. Okay, Onion Royalty, come through. (laughs) And where can folks find us online? So you can send in your comments and questions and feedback and all that kind of stuff to our Gmail inbox, which is absolutedestinyapodcast at gmail.com. And then you can also tweet all that stuff to us at Zetai Unme Pod. And then we both have our own individual socials. Mine is at CarCutie on Instagram. Twitter, Twitch, and TikTok, which I have just posted a very um, goblin-y TikTok. <laughs> I, I am my most unhinged on there, so I apologize. So, speaking of... Oh, God. We, um, <laughs> we do have a... Uh, we do have a listener mail. Um, this one is from Lindy. She says... Oh, Hi, okay. La- she says, Hi, ladies. I've been enjoying your podcast and I always find new perspectives on the show interesting. I thought you would get a kick out of knowing that the classical music that Toga is listening to in his stupor, which is episode 15, um, the beginning Mm -hmm. of the Black Rose saga, uh, the music that the classical music that Toga is listening to in his stupor is from Dvorak's New World Symphony, which obviously gives insight into what he's ruminating on. So thank you, Lindy, for that. Um, yes, that that definitely does give a little insight um, into our errant student council member who is uh, desperate to revolutionize the world. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, so speaking of the TikTok you posted, and I was going to be like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going that direction and not listener mail. So I'm happy to see and hear about listener mail instead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you have anything you want to say, please write in. We would love to hear from you and we will catch you next time. <laughs>